Now would you pray with me over the message this morning? Dear Lord, I pray that these are your words this morning. I pray that that I'm speaking truth. And God, it's not just uh, good-sounding words, but they're life-changing words, Lord, that, that we hear what you have to say, and we walk away changed by your word. In your name, amen. So quick recap, we are on the armor of God. And that's because we are in a battle. I don't know if you know that, but if you're a Christian, you're in a battle. Even if you don't want to admit it, even if you want to pretend like you're not, it doesn't matter. You're still going to get attacked if you're a Christian, even if you don't want to admit that you're in a battle. So you have to start there. The good news is that God has given us armor, and the Bible talks about armor that we can wear to help us in this battle. The problem is most of us don't really even know what this armor is or how we might put it on and use it. And that's what this whole series is about. You can look around and, and the war that we're in is getting clearer and clearer. And, and we don't fight against people. We don't fight against our boss or our spouse or anything like that. The Bible tells us we fight against spiritual beings. There's, there's a spiritual uh, realm that is, there's a tax coming, and that's where we wage war, and that's what this armor is for. So if you think this series is going to help you take down someone in your life you don't like, that's not what this is. This is for spiritual battles, because those are our real battles. So last week, we talked about the belt of truth. That's what came first, and I said, how, how funny is it that the first thing, and in the Bible, order matters, the fact that it comes first is important, is the belt, None of us think of a belt when we think of armor, but it's so important because the truth of God's word, knowing God's word and actually having God's word as our source of truth in our life is what holds everything together. We talked about the word to gird, which means to hold it tight, keep things from falling apart. And if we don't have a belt, none of the other armor is going to matter because it's not going to stay on. The belt is what's going to hold it all together. So we have to start with knowing what the Word of God says, actually reading our Bible, not just to check something off our list, but so that that can become our source of truth because that's what holds it all together. That's what keeps us from tripping up as we go forward. So now we're moving on. And as I said last week, this series, I I want to try something a little different where I just make a statement and then spend the rest of the sermon kind of proving it from the Bible. And so the statement today is, A wounded heart leads to wounded hands. Now here's what I mean by that. When our heart is wounded, everything we do is a little tainted. That's what the Bible says, that everything flows from your heart. So when your heart is wounded, when your heart is bitter, when there's something wrong with your heart, it starts to taint everything you do. And everything you say. I even have to be very careful about this when I write sermons. Because one of the first things I I ask myself when I write a sermon is, am I writing this from a wound? Because if I write something from a place of bitterness, I'm going to actually be hurting people. Even if I can find scripture and be like, no, what I'm saying is okay. If my heart is wounded and bitter and I'm speaking from a place of like anger and I'm going to show somebody, my words are not going to be pure. It's going to flow from a heart. And you guys have probably heard someone speak from a bitter place, and you're like, oh, that didn't quite feel right. That's because that's what happens when your heart is wounded, when your heart is messed up, when there's, when there's a problem with your heart, 
everything you do, every word that comes out of your mouth is a little bit tainted from that. And so why are we talking about the heart? Well, today we are on the breastplate. I'm going to bring you to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So you might call this a cuirass, a chest plate. There's a couple other words for it. But this is probably the first thing you thought of when I said the armor of God. This is kind of what you thought of. And so in the Roman armor, and again, we'll, we're going to be looking at how, how the Romans would use this armor because when this text was written, Roman armor was the best. Whenever anyone was talking about armor, they would have thought of what the Romans wore because they had the best. They had the best armor. So the breastplate or the cuirass, it was front and back and it was tailored to fit. That's really important. It's one of the only pieces of armor that they had different sizes on and it was incredibly important that it fit you well. Because almost all of the other pieces of armor were positioned in a place where you could still bend. And even if the fit wasn't quite right, it was fine. Like a lot of times there would be a shield plate, but it would only come up to the knee. So even if it was a little too big, you could still bend and move. And, and for your waist, there would be kind of like a bunch of strips of leather with some metal on it. So even if it didn't fit quite right, it would move with you and all of that. But the breastplate was something where if it didn't fit you right, you were not going to be able to move fluidly at all. So it was one of the few pieces of armor that they really had different sizes and they made sure it fit you. Now, when there's warfare going on, especially in the time that this text was written, there were really two types of attacks that would happen in a normal battle. There was long distance attacks that would start kind of at the beginning and go throughout where there would be archers and some other long distance attacks where they wouldn't really aim at anybody. They would just shoot a bunch of arrows in a general direction. I know in movies, whenever you see an archer, you see someone from like a half mile away, like I'm going to shoot that guy. That's not really how it worked. They drew to a certain distance and they just shot and they lobbed a whole bunch of arrows and they hoped it hit was not personal. They had no idea who they were shooting at. They were just shooting in a general direction. So that was a lot of to try to break up lines, to try to force um, armies into a bad place and things like that. But then what would happen eventually is as lines would crash into each other, eventually what would break out is the true up close and personal battles where the swords would come out where it was you knew who you were fighting. You could look in the eyes of the person that you were fighting and your attacks were to kill that specific person. And those battles were horrifying and terrible. In fact, there's, if you look at the history, there's a lot of, of really good journals that were written by, if you think of like knights in shining armor, many of those suffered from severe PTSD. They would wake up screaming at night because of how horrifying those skirmishes were because it was so up close and it was so personal. And those attacks were for your vital organs. So if you were fighting somebody up close, you were trying to hit them in the heart, you were trying to hit them in the stomach, you were trying to hit them in a vital organ where if you hit them once, they were done. That's what your breastplate or chest plate or cuirass was there. That's why it was so important is because in those up close and personal skirmishes, when people were going for the kill shot and they wanted to end your life, that was your protection. That was, it protected all of your vital organs. 
And so there's a reason why when we hear the word armor, especially when we think of like Romans and things, that we think of this because this was your guard for all of your most important organs was that. And especially it's your protection against those up close and personal attacks. And so it's righteousness. That's what the Bible says. It's our breastplate of righteousness. And so we need to know what righteousness is because a lot of us might have different definitions of righteousness. And so we need to really break down what does this word righteousness mean? Because obviously it's really important if in the faith of a Christian, our righteousness is the same as a chest plate would be for a Roman. It's, we better understand this because it's, this is what's protecting our vital organs. And so you might think righteousness means never making a mistake. It means that I'm awesome. I'm perfect. I've got it all together. Someone can look at my life and they can't find any fault in me. I'm righteous. And I would understand why you would think that way, especially if you read a lot of the Old Testament and things like that. But if we think that, we're probably going to be in trouble because none of us then would be righteous, right? I've, I made mistakes this morning, right? I'm guessing a lot of you guys did too. So what does it mean to be righteous? And what does this word actually mean? If you look in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, where it says the breastplate of righteousness, what does that word actually mean? And it's actually a court term. And if you read the Bible, you're going to see that a lot of the terminology that's used in the Bible is either for courtrooms or business terms. Because for the Jewish people, those were two major parts of their culture. They had a very advanced, specific way to have a legal system at a time when no one else really did. Everywhere else in the world, it was like, if you stole something from me, I'm going to stab you in the neck. And that was their legal system, where the Jewish people had a very specific, set-out way to do it. So this terminology basically means it is a sentence given by a judge. So if somebody accused me of doing something, right? Not that they would ever do that. But if someone accused me of doing something, I would get brought to court. And there would be evidence given both sides. I might have a witness. They might have a witness. And eventually, the judge would declare a sentence. And it would either be, right, guilty or not guilty. And that's basically what righteousness means is not guilty. Vindicated. Justified. These charges won't stick. There's no punishment needed. It's a, it's a declaration given by a judge on what state I'm in. Now, that might be a little different than how we've thought of righteousness before, but that's ultimately what it means. It means to be not guilty. In fact, I would, I would even put it this way. To be righteous means that you are approved by God. It means that God looks at you bangs his gavel and says, I approve. That's what it means to be righteous, to have the judge, God is our judge, declare not guilty, approved, no punishment needed, righteous. That's what this word means. Now, how do we put this on? Because that's what it says. It says, put on the armor of God. So there's, there's something that we need to do to, to put this on, to wear this, because as we said last week, armor doesn't do very, very much if it's laying on the ground, right? We got to have it on for it to actually help us. 
So I want to bring you to Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And this is so important for us to understand. This is what it says. It says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, there's so much there. I could probably do a whole series on this verse, but we got we to gotta take a couple things here that are really big. Number one, the Bible tells us flat out, righteousness does not come from the law, meaning it's not about how good you can keep the rules. That's not how you put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I'll be really clear. You should keep the rules, but you should keep the rules because you have righteousness, not so that you can have righteousness if you keep the rules good enough. Does that make sense? Because you already are righteous, you keep the rules. You don't keep the rules so that maybe someday you can have righteousness. It is a different way to look at it. The Bible actually says that righteousness is credited to our account. See, now we're in business terms, right? We got court terms and we got business terms. That's most of the Bible. It talks about Abraham and it says that God's righteousness was credited to his account. So it's, it's silly for us to still be trying to earn our own righteousness when God's righteousness is being credited to us if we have faith in him. Now again, we have to have surrendered our life to Jesus. We have to have faith in him. We must be born again. But if we have, his righteousness is credited to us. So imagine this. Imagine you're struggling. You're living paycheck by paycheck. You're barely getting by. You don't know where your next meal is going to come from. And a billionaire is like, you know what? I'm just going to start crediting your account. I'm just going to start crediting my money into your account. Anything that's mine is yours. Our accounts are merged. You, you can pull from my account however much you want. And then imagine that person still living in fear and like, how am I going to get my next meal? It's like, no, you can, you can work. I mean, working is good, but you no longer are working to get by. You have now had all of the money you could ever need credited into your account. But that's the sad thing is most of us as Christians are living that way. We're desperately trying to just earn enough to say that we have enough. When, when we have billions of dollars credited into our account. That's the righteousness of God. God has enough righteousness to last forever. He has no end to righteousness. That's who God is. He doesn't have righteousness. He is righteousness. And so if he is crediting his righteousness into our account, then yes, we try to keep the rules. Yes, we try to live good godly lives that are worthy of his call, but we don't do it so that we can be righteous. We do it because somehow we are already righteous. And that is the beauty. And that is why it is so important. That's why this is the equivalent of having a curus on. Can you imagine seeing a Roman army and somebody forgot their curus? You'd be like, oh my goodness, dude, go back. You, that's the one piece of armor you don't want to forget. And yet many of us are living not in the righteousness of God. And here's what's so important. If you're a visual person like me, maybe this will help. The first four words of Philippians chapter 9 says, and be found in him. This is the key to all of it. The Bible says that if we have been born again, if we have 
surrendered our life to Jesus, if we've accepted the free gift of salvation, put our faith in him, it says that we are hidden in Christ. That's what the Bible says. We're hidden in Christ. And you might be saying, how can God possibly look at my life and hit his gavel and say, not guilty. I know everything I've done. I know I haven't made up for it. I know my sin. I know all the ways I fall short. That's the beauty of this whole thing is he doesn't see you. He doesn't declare you not guilty. He declares Jesus not guilty. And since we are hidden in Jesus, his righteousness is ours because the judge, the only judge that matters, the only judge who can actually put a sentence on us when he looks at us, he doesn't see us. He doesn't see our sin. He sees his son. And when you look at the Bible, at Jesus' baptism, you can see what God declares over his son. He says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, approved. I approve of this. And if we are found in Jesus, it's no longer about our own righteousness. It's no longer about how good we kept the rules. It's now about who are we found in? Are we hidden in Christ? Because if we are, there is no judgment because God is not going to look at his son and declare him guilty. Approved, righteous, and we can actually wear this righteousness. We can actually have this righteousness protect us. And it's really important that we do. And here's why. I'm going to bring you to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And this is what it says. It says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. See, this is our enemy. And some people call him the devil. Some people call him Satan. You might have heard the enemy. I tend to like the accuser because that's who he is and that's what he does. So let's go back to the courtroom. Who do you think has brought you to court? Our enemy has. The Bible says he hurls accusations day and night. He just accuses, 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 accuses. And that's the up-close and personal attacks. We're going to talk in later weeks about what the arrows kind of represent. But when you're talking about those attacks with a sword that are personal, that are for your heart, that are trying to hit a vital organ and take you down, we're talking about accusations. And I'm not talking about accusations of people, although that happens. I'm talking about the accusations in your head. I mean, do, do a test. Wake up one morning and just look in the mirror. Just look in the mirror and write down what's going on up here. And see how many accusations are coming at you in your thoughts over and over and over again. You're not good enough. You still don't have that down. You're still not where you're supposed to be. Everybody else is better than you. You're still struggling. Does this sound familiar to anyone else as you're looking in the mirror in the morning? Where do you think that's coming from? Do you think that's coming from God? Or do you think it's coming from someone who is called the accuser? It says he accuses day and night. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever just been like, to your brain, just stop. Just give me a break. Why are you always tearing me down and picking me apart? That's because we have an enemy and he is called the accuser. And it's up close and it's personal. He knows you. He knows your insecurities. He knows how you've been hurt, how you've been wounded. He knows how to get right into your heart and he's trying to wound your heart. He accuses, accuses, accuses. And just like in Roman warfare, the thing that protects your heart is the breastplate 
the righteousness of God, when we wear it, when we live in that awareness that no matter what I've done, no matter how far I still have to go, I am approved by God. The only person who can truly declare a judgment on me finds me not guilty because I am found in his son and he sees his son and says, approved. If you can wear that and live in that awareness, it protects you from all those accusations because you're going to be tempted to try to fight those accusations in your own righteousness. That's just what the accuser wants. Because here's the problem. You in yourself don't have enough righteousness. And so if he says, man, you messed up again. If you're like, well, no, but I had a good day yesterday. You're going to lose because you don't have the righteousness to fight the accusations. And eventually he's going to stab you right in your heart. It's going to land because you don't have the righteousness. It's the same thing like if you were accused of like a big crime and somebody was just hurling accusations at you. This person stole this and they robbed me and they whatever. Are you going to try to defend yourself in court? That would be a real bad idea. You would get a lawyer, someone who knows more than you, someone who can answer those questions for you. In fact, that's kind of like the the thing that you understand is you just say, I want to talk to my lawyer because you can't answer those questions the right way. You're going to lose. Here's the real fun part. Do you know what the Bible, who the Bible says is our lawyer? Jesus. Isn't that a pretty good lawyer? It says that he defends us to the Father. So if we're at court, you have the accuser hurling accusations. This person did this, they fell short, they did, they messed up here, they messed up there, they're not good enough, not good enough. Just hurling accusations. And then you have Jesus on the other side who is actually defending us. And if we're found in him, the father looks at us, sees his son, and says, not guilty. Righteous. We have to live in that. Because otherwise those accusations are going to land. And I'm going to be real with you. You don't have the righteousness on your own to fight the accusations that are going to come day after day after day. I don't have the righteousness on my own to fight those kinds of of accusations all the time. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's exhausting to fight the accusations that are in your head all day. If you're anything like me, you're really tired. And that's the beautiful thing about this is because of the righteousness of Jesus that's been credited to our account. When the accuser comes and says, not good enough, you fell short, you deserve punishment, you deserve this, be full of shame, be full of guilt, you can point him to Jesus and say, those accusations have to go to him because it's not about how good I look to the Father. You have to actually make those accusations stick to Jesus because when the Father looks at me, that's who he sees. And I can promise you, none of those accusations stick to Jesus. I can promise you, he has no problem fighting those accusations off. He lived a perfect life. None of them are gonna stick. And that's the beauty of, of having a breastplate. It was designed in such a way that the blows glance off, right? That's the whole point. You don't want it to like stick and like press in. So it's designed with curves so that if someone tries to stab you, it glances, it bounces. And this is how those accusations have to be with us. Let them go to Jesus. Let them glance off you because ultimately it doesn't matter if you have the righteousness. If you're found in Christ, what matters is does he have the righteousness? And I promise you, he always does. 
And if you're like me and you get so tired of trying to fight the accusations, I'm not good enough, I keep falling short, stop trying to fight them. Start to redirecting them to Jesus and say, talk to my lawyer, talk to my lawyer, because he can handle them and you can't. Now, why is this so important? Why, why does it matter? Because you got to admit, man, wouldn't it be nice to not have to fight the internal accusations all day? Yes, but it's even bigger than that. This is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, I've already alluded to this. Why am I bringing us back here? We're going to go back to the main point. A wounded heart leads to wounded hands. This is not just about you. If you do not guard your heart, if you let the accusations wound you, if you let those attacks get in and stab your heart, you are going to start operating from a wounded heart, which means you're going to start hurting people. What we end up doing is when we let those accusations hit, when, when we let those accusations get to us and get into our heart, we start to start speaking those accusations to other people too. You guys know the saying, hurt people hurt people, right? That's true. That's what happens. When your heart gets wounded, you start to do wounded things and you unknowingly start to actually work for the army of the enemy because you start wounding people with your words because you haven't done the work to protect your heart. And once your heart is wounded, once you're bitter, once you are living in that place of woundedness, you're not going to mean to. You're not going to realize probably that you're even doing it. But with the words you speak to others, with how you interact with the people around you, you're going to start wounding people. And that's why it's so important to protect your heart. It is so important to live in the righteousness of Christ. Because if you're still trying to be good enough to fight off all the accusations, then you're going to expect everybody else to be good enough. And you are going to start treating people in a way that Jesus would not treat them because they're not living up to your standard because you're still thinking that maybe you can be righteous enough in your own work. And your heart's going to get wounded because those accusations are going to hit. So don't just do this for yourself. Don't just do this because, man, it is beautiful to not have to answer to those internal accusations all day, every day. Do it for the body of Christ. Do it because we have enough people hurting in the body of Christ, and we do not need to be part of more people getting hurt because we have not protected our heart from the enemy. So as I close this, I just have a couple questions for you guys. I don't want you to raise your hand or speak out loud. I, just, I want you to start to process through this. How is your heart doing? And I know that sounds so cliche, but I really do mean it. Have you gotten accusations that have stabbed you in the heart? Is there something that the enemy has said, accused you of, claimed about you, made you feel guilty or shamed about that hit you right there and you know you're wounded? Because if you have, that's okay, but we got to heal from that. You got you to get in that righteousness of God and you got to get your heart wounded, unwounded. You got to become whole again. And it's not going to be in your righteousness. It's going to be in the righteousness of Christ. And again, I'll repeat it again. I'm not here saying, yeah, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter what you do. It does. 
But the only way you can start to live that life is through the righteousness that's been given you, not trying desperately to achieve your own. And my second question is just this. Have you been trying to fight off accusations on your own merit? When those thoughts go through your head, you're not good enough, you fall short, you're always doing this. A real Christian wouldn't have done that. You're probably not even saved. You're the worst in your friend group. Everyone else is better than you. Does this sound familiar to anybody else going on in your head? Have you been trying to fight that off based on your own merit or the righteousness of Christ? Have you let that glance off and say, you're going to have to make that stick to Jesus because that's who I'm found in. That's who the Father declares judgment on because I'm hidden in Christ. When he sees me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees his son. And if you have been trying to fight off accusations based on your own merit, how is that going for you? I'm assuming you're probably hurt and tired because I would be too. It's time for us to wear the righteousness of Christ, to walk around in life knowing that we are not found not guilty because we are found in Christ and that any accusation that comes to us from the enemy about the ways that we fall short, the way we're not good enough, those need to go to Jesus and he needs to make them stick to Jesus because that's, God doesn't see us. He sees his son. So would you stand? I want to pray with you guys this morning. Lord, I thank you for your righteousness. I thank you that all that we've done, all the ways that we, we could be better, all the ways that, that we could strive for more, all the ways that, that we fall short, somehow because of your grace, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, when you see us, you declare us righteous. You declare us not guilty. You declare us approved that we walk around today, right now, if we have put our faith in Jesus, Scripture says, through faith in Jesus, surrendering our life to him, we walk around today, right now, approved by the God of the universe. The only person whose opinion matters, the only person who can truly declare judgment on us, declares that he approves us right now. Lord, would you help us to walk in this, Would you help those accusations to just glance off of us? Help us to direct those accusations to Jesus because he's the one we're lost in. He's the one we're hidden in. He's the one we're found in, Lord. And I just pray, Lord God, for anyone who's tired and wounded today, Lord, that you would just heal their heart, Lord God. And not based on them being better, not based on them finally getting it together, but based on the fact that they know today that they're found in you, that they're hidden in you, that they are approved, that they are righteous, that they don't have to to answer to the accusations anymore, that you'll answer for them. Lord, and I pray that, that you just heal their hearts, that you make them whole again, that you let them find that peace and joy in knowing that they're approved, righteous, found in Christ, not guilty. And I just pray for for your body, Lord, that we would be people who wear your righteousness, Lord. Wear it like a cuirass, protecting our vital organs, Lord God. That we will trust in your righteousness, not our own, Lord. I thank you. And I pray this in your name. Amen.